What? You want to start a new campaign and your characters are going to be Tigger the Tabaxi, Geico the Lizardman, Daffy the Kinku, and Leonardo the Tortle Monk. You are all watching way too many cartoons. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly, And I'm Greg Ziegler. And today we are going to be taking another look into the monsters, those creatures in the monster manual found on D&D Beyond, but also first edition, second edition, yeah. monster I manual. I don't Fiend know Folios. if these are monsters, though. We're, yeah, we're covering they're... celestials. Yeah. And they all tend to be lawful good. So yeah. Can you really call them monsters? I guess in the generic sense. Yeah. There's a couple of, like, the Pegasus. He's chaotic good, but they yeah. all... Yeah. Pegasus-eezies? We'll cover yeah. him. Yep. All right, so, but first, before we do that, we always like to take a little look at what we've been doing over the last bit of time since we last met here in the studios, and this is our segment, Games People Play. All right, so, gentlemen, I think we all were at the most recent game uh, gaming convention together. That was Winter War, local gaming convention here in Champaign, Illinois. 47th year? What? That's right, 47th. Yep. I was thinking it was 48th. I hope they do something big for 50. I'm going to do something big for 50. If I'm still living here. Exactly. I'm planning on doing some type of big game for the 50th. Um, I hope that they update their website by the 50th. Yeah. (laughs) Their website's a little little dated. Yeah, that is very, very They have a guy who really knows his, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, is it Royce who does the website? Yeah, and he knows his stuff because he does a bunch of uh, conventions and the sites are usually pretty good. Well-structured. Yes. I think they are open to suggestions. Whether or not those suggestions get turned into something, totally different thing. So, But it is a wonderful gaming convention. It's small. Maybe 420 people came throughout the entire weekend. Um, I think almost every session sells out, no matter what game it is. Yeah. I mean, it's a dedicated, eclectic crowd of gamers that go to Winter War. Yes. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the same people are playing the same exact games year after year after year. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But, but they also play a wide variety of games. Yeah. It's not just your, like this weekend, I'm going to Winter Fantasy mm-hmm. up in Fort Wayne. I actually leave tomorrow morning. And that's all Adventures League. And, uh, you know, I have some problems with that, too, because it's Baldwin <laughs> game. So it's like a for-profit, and they oh, charge like 10 yeah. bucks a game. I figured I'd try it out this year, but I don't know how I feel yeah. about for-profit game conventions. Yeah, mm. yeah not a fan. So you're um, going, you're paying to play. I mean, we all yeah. pay to play when we go to a yeah. game convention. Well, but. Dan, my friend Dan, who's been on the show, he wanted to go up, and he had already reserved a room and asked me, hey, you want to go up? So I said, sure, and then I signed up. It's like $130 for, you know, because there's your badge fee and then 10 bucks a game. Wow. Yeah, that's a little steep. Yeah, for for just Adventures League. I mean, if, know, it, one were, of the if it were a charity event, that would be one yeah, thing. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it nearly so much. But one of the advantages to Dungeons and Dragons, like when we were back in college, was you buy the books once, and then you get hours of entertainment mm-hmm. for free. Well, if you're going to Winter Fantasy, apparently not. <laughs> it's two fifty an hour. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. All right. So, what did you guys do at Winter War? Any fun and frivolity? I, I had two two things that happened that were sort of notable uh during the auction winter war has a great auction if you're a buyer not oh too sure my. about the sellers yeah do I not mean, so, go there trying to sell your stuff and get your money back yeah if you're I, just looking to clear stuff out it's a great place i've successfully avoided it every year so so yeah i don't need to buy anything i i managed to refrain from from purchasing most stuff because i'm sort of rebuilding the collection 
But then an Aftermath boxed set appeared. Now, I have the rule books for Aftermath and a bunch of the modules, but I don't have the box. What is Aftermath? It's a post-apocalyptic role-playing game, and it's Aftermath exclamation point. Oh, that's important. It's it's (laughs) early. It's from the, I believe it's from the mid-70s. And all you need to know about Aftermath is that the unit of currency within the game is the round of ammunition. That's how oh. you buy and sell things, by trading bullets. That's, that's all. Cool. You, that's all you need to know about the game. That gives you the entire feel. Uh, and I'm going to run it at some point. I used to play it way back in the day, but I saw that box. I was like, holy crap, I need that box. Well, somebody else needed the box as well. So the pinning got up. I finally got the box for $25. Ooh, which, big which, spender for a box. But, I mean, it, well, it had the game in it, oh, okay. but I have the rule books. So really all I needed was the box. So as I'm going up, the guy I was bidding for, I walk by him, bidding against. I walk by him. I go, oh, by the way, I just really needed the box. If you want the rule books, I'll sell them to you. So I sold him the rule books for 10 bucks. I pr- might have got more for him, but I figured it. Very you know, similar story to what? I experienced there at auction too. Um, I saw somebody buying something and it had a Memoir 44 expansion in it. And he got the whole thing for eight bucks. It was a stack of stuff. And I walked up to him later and I said, so how much did you pay for that? For the Memoir 44? And he goes, I don't care about Memoir 44. I have no idea what it is. I just wanted the stuff underneath it. And I said, I'll give you five bucks for it. Yeah. That expansion is worth like 55 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, you can get good deals at the Winter War auction. So if nobody, nice. even if you just come by Saturday afternoon, it's like one to three, I think, yeah. is the, uh, the auction. Yeah, they, so, they, I noticed this year they've, they've been they've cleared out the schedule around the auction too a little bit. I think they've been doing that. Have mm-hmm. they? But they have they have a two hour break between okay. the sessions so people can attend the auction if so they for want. For sure, I noticed it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's but always been I'm, clear. I'm not participating. So, so the other funny story that happened, and I'm not a big fan of gaming stories, but this one it was notable. <laughs> Uh, there's a group of guys from down by St. Louis that I see at a lot of conventions, and I run a lot of games for them, it seems. I don't know if they seek me out or it's just chance, but um, they tend to be wildly inappropriate, which makes them ideal for my table, right? Mm-hmm. And we were in an adventure where they were pursuing a crime, and they went to a dressmaker, and they decided to pretend like two of their characters were getting married. Now, all their characters are male, which, you know, not a big deal, but somebody needed to wear a dress. So we have this guy who's ordering, you know, male character ordering a dress, which is slightly weird, but whatever. We went with it. Well, later on in the adventure, they appear in court, and they have to testify under oath. And they're not allowed to lie because they have magical detection. Mm-hmm. So they're, they have to account for their activities to be cleared of the crime. And they said, well, we were at a dressmaker getting a wedding dress. And they said, well, why were you at the dressmaker? Well, we're getting married. And the judge, the magistrate, looks at them and says, well, are you really getting married? Because at this point, if they say no, then it... There's more suspicion on them that they they commit. They don't want to admit to what they were doing because they were doing some underhand stuff. And they said, well, yeah, of course, you know, that's we were getting married. Now, they're under oath Mm -hmm. and there's a truth thing. (laughs) So I say, well, as luck would have it, I'm a magistrate and I can marry people. (laughs) And since time is of the essence, I declare you married. Congratulations, (laughs) because you both testified under oath that you want to be married. (laughs) <laughs> That's fair. Now, I did give them the bonus of the ceremony spell, so for the uh, next seven days, they have plus two to ar- their armor class if they are within 30 feet of each other. But it was a rather humorous moment. Oh, That's cool. Uh, and their friends at the well next played. table well, overheard it 
Well played. And they, they will not live this down. I'm well, sure this will be a story that will live on. Well played. Well yeah. played. That's good. Uh, Greg, any interesting gaming stories or just general convention stories? Um, I actually had a really good time. Uh, did you? I'm glad. Ask Eric, did he? Um, <laughs> did you? Did you just play, or did you game master? No, I, I almost just game mastered. I played one session, and then I game mastered the rest for Adventures okay. League. Cool. I actually was good, and I only last year I think it was uh, a three solid days of Adventures League for me. This year it was two sessions. Yeah. So cut that down a little bit. Uh, they, they were both fun. Um, but I tried to spread myself out a little bit this time. I did play a D&D 1E session. How did yeah. that go? Finally, I, I couldn't with, get not it. with 12 people and not with uh, yeah. no one who knew what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, it worked out pretty well. Um, I, I don't know that I can say I learned a lot about playing 1E. I could see that. Playing yeah. it. Um, but... Um, the game master that was running it, he they he does it. I guess he does it there every year. What's his name? Uh, he uh, Alex uh, Riddell. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he runs it every year. Uh, it's him and a couple of his bu- and two of his buddies were playing, and I guess they've been gaming together for years, decades. I don't know how really long. And one of them lives all the way out in Philadelphia, and they literally get together. I guess for the week or weekend or extended period around now. To play D and D and pretend like they're in college again and stuff like that, but it was it was kind of fun, <laughs> and they weren't obnoxious about the fact that they had game together so much. Which sometimes when you're in a group yeah, and everybody clicks. plays together and you're the outsider, that they 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 were not like that, which was really good. Uh, a couple other people there weren't familiar with the system either, and it went pretty well. It was just, it it was really just like playing regular D and D, only a little more dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> there is a different feel to it. You sort of, I've sort of honed in on that after playing both. At just you know, at, I'll go to conventions, play both. Yeah. If no one's ever played one e like Greg, go check yeah. it out. It's, yeah, and, and it was it was fun. And the you know character sheets easier. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a lot less complicated. Did you find to play yourself um, not looking at the character sheet so much and just kind of um, being in the game? Uh, yes, uh, it was it was kind of a dungeon crawl, mm-hmm. and I was playing the th- the thief, and I had a little bit less to do than everybody else. Whenever we ran into anything really dangerous, you know the you ran the, and the hide. paladin. Well, you know, I've played rogues in five e, and it functions completely different. Right. There's yeah, and so I don't think I ever had the opportunity to backstab anything. Just the way the combat came up, we were fighting a lot of monsters, mm-hmm. you know, a giant creature that's filling a room. I, mean, I can't really backstab that. I, I can't sneak. Right. I can't hide. Um, so my, my role is a little bit limited. But, I mean, everybody seemed to have a really good time, and we were fairly successful, and no one died. But your role was your role. Nobody else was doing it. That's true. Uh, I, I had to open some doors. Had niche. I had to I had to pop open a chest and then step back and actually let somebody else take the thing that popped out of it. Uh, <laughs> It's true rogue, which was good. Uh, okay, it's all your I, problem. I was, now. I was really we uh, we were uh, we were running pre gens, and they were all uh, God. I can't remember third or fifth level or something like that. So we weren't playing. Yeah, fresh super high. It sounds so like it a lot easy. of fun. Yeah, and it was it was a good time, and uh, you know, and everybody was everybody was into it and on board. Um, you know, and it's as you would imagine an old school game. It was a lot of combat and plot and not a whole lot of characters interacting with each other but it's a, it was a dungeon crawl so that was what I was yeah. expecting that's what I got and I, I enjoyed that I uh, got in some Call of Cthulhu got in uh, not the one you were in mm-hmm. uh, I played Saturday Saturday morning right uh, and I played Gumshoe Knight's Black Agent and I'd never played Gumshoe before mm. 
And, I've heard of it, but not, and uh, I had a really it. good time. The game master on that one, uh, Graham Wills. Uh, which Graham believe, is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you ever have you ever yeah. played anything with him? Yes. He's amazing. Yeah. I really was really his wife him. playing. Uh, she, while while we were playing that, his wife was in Eric's yeah. uh, run because when I when I got done, I walked over to see how he was doing, and mm. uh, she was sitting there, and I, I I walked up and I says, I just had the most charming English game master, and she goes, Oh, that was my husband. Yeah. She's from Ireland. I think she's <laughs> Irish yeah. or Scottish. She's Irish. Irish. Yeah. yeah. He's he's English. Yeah. They, yeah. Which just automatically they're up from Chicago well, way. Yeah, yeah, Good and people. they've lived here a long time. He yeah. said, "I think still have the accent." Nineteen or twenty years. Yeah, he actually was talking about the fact that his accent has gotten messed up. So when they go back to the UK, everybody thinks he's not from the UK anymore, <laughs> which I can't fathom at all. Yeah, and then here, everybody's like, "Oh, you're from the UK." Yeah, it's you like, also mentioned that he had an. English accent for his NPCs, but he would do different English accents. Yeah, he was just just like here doing Southern accents or you know doing your Boston accent. He had you know he had his Cockney accent. And all of a sudden, he went down to the docks to interview some guys. He's like, hey, well, we saw those guys over there, and then and, but that's not how he talks at all. And right. Yeah. Was, yeah. So he was really good at that. It was a little awkward for some people. Um, someone that was sitting at the table there, I talked to her afterwards, and um, we were playing British government secret agents in 1971 London. Mm-hmm. So it was a Cold War thing, yeah. and we were looking for vampires. So it had, it had a lot going on, and it was Damn, it was very cool. Russian vampires, yeah, uh, Romanian <laughs> vampires. Because where else would, where else would yeah. they come from? Yeah. Uh, they were uh, Romanian ballet vampires. So yeah, we were playing might, all the cliches. I might date one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the suspicious you thing... You would date anybody. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> uh, well, the suspicious thing was, you know, uh, ballet performers, they have a, a certain shelf life because ballet is hard. Uh, yes. One of the ballet troupe, it was like... Oh, a, yeah. So they... He was like a 35-year-old ballet and, guy. And the performances and, tend to occur at night, so it works out. Yeah. No, yeah. They, they, they don't show up at the theater until about 4 or 5 in the afternoon, and, yeah. then, and then they're here all night. And, and yeah. you know, he's 35, and he still performs like he's 19. <laughs> like, there's a reason for that. You know, every story has a gem of truth to it. So has anybody ever checked out the <laughs> yeah. New York ballet? Yeah. Hmm. Just saying. Uh, the, the funny thing was, though, is that uh, we were talking about this afterwards, like, yeah, well, some of it we were playing British characters, but... I didn't want to do the accent <laughs> because right. the game master had the accent, and I didn't want to screw it up and sound dumb. Right. But yeah. well, but right. one of the characters was Romanian, and one of the characters was French, and one of the characters was German. So we got to do fun accents. I am originally but, from New Jersey, so I get to hear people do the New Jersey just, accent yeah. all the time. <laughs> Badly, too, I bet. It's always bad because that's wow. not the way people talk where I'm from in New Jersey, mm-hmm. but— you know, people right. people insist on pulling it out when you it's mention TV the word New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, yeah. I know, so. uh, Greg. You came came kind of late to registering for Winter War, correct? Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of an advantage. I'm always the first to sign my games up that I'm going to play, which just shuts down my ability. Not I shouldn't say play GM. It shuts down my ability to pick and choose games that I want to get into. Yeah, that would. Yeah, I can so see that. I may have to hold back, but at the same so, time. I uh, like to present a lot of good games at the conventions, but it's part of the, uh, I guess, that's I, I got the disadvantage of being a GM. Yeah. You don't get to play some of the games that are being no, offered. I can totally see that. Well, Eric's, he's living proof of that. He never gets to play. I, I don't, I enjoy running no, no, no. as much yeah. as playing. Don't but, get me wrong, but yeah. there's like that first edition D&D game. I wanted to get in on that, but yeah. I had already submitted... And my games had already been accepted into the yeah, schedule. Yeah, that does limit if you're looking for a specific... Right. Yeah. I think I may hold off a, 
a bit longer. You know longer. what? I have conventions like coming up end of March, Gary Khan. I don't run at Gary Khan. Yeah. I only play. Right. Um, there's a couple conventions that I do that with, but, well, mainly Gary Khan, but there's mm-hmm. a couple others that I, I don't feel the need to to chip in like winter fantasy because <laughs> you're getting 70 bucks a table i must, how much am i getting yeah this? how much am i getting yeah and truthfully I, uh, some of the baldman games dungeon masters mm-hmm. they should pay me for playing at their table oh, <laughs> because nice. some of them that i've experienced for the most part they're they're solid they have a ranking system and stuff but mm-hmm. my first gen con adventure league game was horrendous and it was a baldman games GM. Oh. Yeah, anyway, I really noticed that. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I didn't. I signed up in uh, December, I think, for mm-hmm. my Winter War stuff. And the the D and D, the Adventures League stuff, I signed up for. I I signed up for them at the table there. Yeah, we have a pretty good idea of what's what the demand is for Adventures League in this area. Yeah, and I got I got both of the ones I wanted to sign up yeah. for, but on both of them, I was also the last person to sign up. Yeah. I feel I was the table filler on that, <laughs> and uh, and that was pretty good. Uh, Sunday morning, I played Dark Conspiracy. Which I had not played since the 90s. And yeah. that's a central Illinois classic. Yeah, because GDW. Was, yeah, GDW out of Bloomington over mm-hmm. there. And uh, I was really looking forward to playing that one. I did not enjoy it as much. Um, it is not totally the Game Master's fault on that one. Well, it's a, it's an older game. It's like when we played Star Frontiers. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got the warm fuzzy when it came to play it, yeah. sitting down and playing, but the game mechanics and the game system, you're like, oh my God, this is bad. Yeah. Well, um, it wasn't the mechanics at all. Um, problem number one, I sat down, I, I walked in the room, there were eight players. Yeah, that's no That's fun. a lot of players in a Scooby-Doo setting. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, five um, max, including... The dog and I, and I was I was the last one to show up. Come to find out, there were some character you know pregens. Well, everyone at that table had played together before in the same thing. I was the only yeah. walk in that was not familiar with the characters. So another awkward situation. And um, I would say there was for a convention setting. And, and when you're home setting, when you're playing, there's a lot of screwing around. Yep. I mean, let's, we've talked yeah. about that before. Yeah. You know, that my Star Wars game is terrible about that. We digress for 10 or 15 minutes sometimes, which mm-hmm. is not good. It's why things take so long. But um, there was a, what I would call a lot of screwing around and a lot of digression during the run. And not a lot of what I would call – it was a lot of the players were – Younger. Yeah, it's almost like they shifted a home game to the convention for a session. A little bit. Yeah, you oh, can't. Man. Convention um, game, you got to keep things moving. Well, it, and, and it wasn't just that too, but a lot of the play was what I would describe as a creepy old dude as a video game mentality. <laughs> we were exploring a, a allegedly haunted house. We end up finding out that there's a bad scientist doing experiments on people in there. We weren't rescuing any of the people. The other player characters, they were just going in and shooting them. You know, if somebody was crazy and ran at you, they pumped four or five bullets into them right away. <laughs> uh, we didn't go in and rescue a bunch of people. We left a stack of bodies and blew up the sub-basement. I was the only one trying to drag victims and get stories out of them because we were supposed to be reporters. Uh, on and, and, oh, and all our characters were wearing headsets well, and live streaming what we were doing. A mass shooting is always a better story <laughs> yeah. than a mad scientist. Especially when you're the one reporting on what you're killing. One of the player characters was a police officer with a shotgun. 
walking through the thing, shooting victims. <laughs> I mean, some of them were not redeemable. They were being turned into creatures, to be fair. But yeah, there was uh, definitely on the part of the characters uh, a lack of empathy for anyone that they found in the house. Um, I don't know. I was. I guess I'm used to playing with a different group of people with a different mindset. And well, it's I was like that joke about those two hunters in the woods, and one of them accidentally shoots the other one. They call 911, and they say, oh, my God, I shot my friend. He's dead. I don't know what to do. And 911 says, well, first, calm down, stop, breathe. First, just make sure that he's actually dead. And there's a pause and a gunshot. And he comes back to the phone and says, okay, now what? <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he did have some fun things, uh, you know, to keep the, th- the game moving along. But eight people can't move together. So within 10 minutes of the play starting, we were broken up into group, like three groups. Or there were two large groups and a couple of people running around on their own. And it made for some, some difficult play yeah, yeah. but uh you know that's you know maybe he might likes be a generational with... difference greg it could be grognard might have been showing one and only five players and i want us all running together and and yeah. doing stuff and you know, there's, there's the old prospector yeah, voice right, the old pro- <laughs> you know he, he should make a character an old prospector character up. yeah well let's see what did i do at winter war i ran three games um had an amazing time uh with all three of them that I ran. Uh, some of the best games that I've run in a long time. Memoir 44, we had eight players, and both times we played, it was nail-biting all the way down to the end. The, I don't know, good guys, bad guys. It was the capture of Tobruk. Oh, okay. So yeah. the Brits won. They did not give up the city of Tobruk both times, but it was like a 15-16 to 16, or a 16-15 to 15 win at the very end. Yeah, and if it, nobody's ever played Memoir 44, the turn sequence sort of is conducive to your the tide of battle because yes. there's three areas and on your turn you can activate one of the areas so you right. can sort of pressure a flank and the other person can either respond or pressure a different flank or push in the center and and it sort of gives that like back and forth where you're not quite sure how things are going to go a, there was a lot of that and you are exactly right um the cards dictate a lot of what the the uh, overall commander can do yes, with his, yes. with his You have forces. to have a card that represents that area. And so it just went back and forth. And the people, the, the, the guys playing it, were just having an absolute blast because it was neck and neck, you know, uh, good dice rolls, bad dice rolls, good cards, bad cards, and it was just a ton of fun. Yeah. And when it came down to the end, they're like, all right, we've got an hour and a half left. Let's reset and do this again. <laughs> So yeah. we did it, and we had another great time. Nice. Uh, the Conan yep. game. A lot of my games had that, you know, oh, we're running out of time, and then things start uh, snowballing at the end. That's that's a, another convention classic. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, this was more nah, of a, We won't look in that room this over more there. This is squeezed two in we instead two, of yeah. one. Yeah, we squeezed two games in <laughs> instead of the one. But uh, we also I also played the uh, Conan board game, and you had mentioned, you know, the group you play with has a lot to do with how fun a game is. Yeah. Now... Jimmy McGuire, sometime Grognard uh, special guest here on the show. The uh, fourth Grognard. The fourth Grognard. He played best of Grognard. Yes. <laughs> oh. I'm not sure how he would feel about that. Uh, Maybe not. We love you, Jim. We love you. Um, he was playing along with uh, three other guys that have played this game before, and it does help when you've played the game and you also have some familiarity with the players. And oh my gosh, we had a great time, but there was a new person in, and he had a good time, but I think that he was not quite ready for the, um, 
I'm going to call it childish behavior. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was Conan, and they were playing the parts. You know, fun, good fun. So we had a, a lot of fun. I got to thank the uh, um, Mark, John, and Jake for playing, and Jimmy, and then I think it was... They better be listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it was uh, Paul was the other guy. And Paul. Ringo? Nope. Oh, nope. okay. No Ringo, no Ringo. <laughs> it's coming back around. <laughs> and you gentlemen have not played... The Battlestar Galactica board game, have you? Nope, have nope. not. Oh my gosh, you guys are missing one of the best games ever created. Is Starbuck a best man? Game That's all I need to know. No, Starbuck nope, is not playing then. <laughs> not playing. It's got that hidden, uh, hidden traitor aspect to it. Okay. And the humans are trying to get so far, it's a distance. And when you get there, you got to survive with at least some amount of fuel, some amount of population, hum- uh, morale, and food. But as things go along in the game, that goes down. Well, we had an absolute blast because you don't know who the traitor is. You don't want to give it away too soon. But they all thought it was me. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Natural. Yeah. Yeah. But I was not it. And I could not, for the life of me, convince these people. I literally was going to start playing my cards in the open yeah. to prove well, it to you them. can't do that. And they just would not believe. It's like Werewolf. Kill it well, I was just going to say, yeah, there, exactly. should be a, uh, there should be yeah. a Battlestar Galactica skin on uh, Werewolf. Okay, so let me just go that. back to the Starbuck thing. So that was <laughs> okay. the original Starbuck. That was um, Dirk Benedict? Dirk Benedict. Okay. Yes. And he was also face in the A-team. Yes. How yes. is that guy not getting more props? Like, those are two great <laughs> yes, roles. Yes, exactly. You know, he yeah. should be on the top of the Hollywood 80s era actor list. Yeah, yeah, that is true. He but should anyway. Be out. Yeah. Anyway, it was a great game. Uh, a lot of fun. And I can't... It made my night, yeah. So, uh, and then the last game I played was a game that is just like Memoir 44. It's made by Richard Borg, but it's called Battlelore, and it's basically fantasy um, tactics using the Memoir 44, the Command and Colors uh, rule set. Have you ever played those? No. Command and Colors. Battlecry? I've heard of Battlecry. Right. Same type of thing. Okay. Um, but So that's more like hardcore miniature rules. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, and it was the big board. I mean, the damn thing was 16 feet long. Is it, it's not tied to any intellectual property? It's just a generic fantasy-ish? Or no, is it? it is Battle Lore. It's made by... Uh, but it's not like based on Lord of the Rings? No. Or, okay. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. And hmm. a lot of fun. And it was one bloody, nasty battle. I was playing against a young gal across from me, and I asked her how old she was, and she goes, oh, I'm 18, and I said, good. And Dean's like, I am going to teach you your first life lesson as an adult, (laughs) and you crushed her. Uh, Yes. She had a lot of trouble when I was eliminating units, but the reason I asked how old she was is because if you're playing against somebody, and they are 16 and younger, almost inevitably they will roll exactly what they need to roll every time and yeah. kick your ass. Yeah, there's also that beginner's luck. Mm-hmm. First time somebody plays a game, they, yeah. they crush, crush was, the rolls. She was quite good. She understood the rules very well, and uh, she was a challenge. I had gamer parents. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, I think so. She, that happens I think so. I, I have, well, uh, two other things. Do you have yeah. anything? No, no, I was just saying that I had a blast. Um, I always look forward to Winter War. I wish that... Uh, 
it had more board games. I know that there, you guys are big fantasy or, yeah. uh, RPG guys, but I do wish it had more board games. So two two other things. One really quick. I finally started uh, my daughter Trinity at, has been talking about having me run a game for her college friends. Mm-hmm. So last week I went up and I ran a zero session, made characters, and we ran a short adventure. <laughs> oh, my God. They're, they are all theater majors. How, how many players do you have? Uh, we had five. Five? That's a good but number. But there's two more who, who want to play they just couldn't make it they, they have different schedules so i think people are going to rotate in and out but for new relatively new gamers they had dabbled you know most of them but oh my god they had such a good time they they were all over the place role play wise because they're all theater majors it, <laughs> yep. it was a lot of fun uh so i'm sure i'll have more stories about that as time goes on we're planning on playing every other week the other story. You travel. She's in Bloomington. She's isn't? in Bloomington. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's close to an hour, but it's worth it. I, plus, I get to see her. You know, she's don't see her nearly so much now. That she's in college. And there's a Krispy Kreme. Uh, I grew up as an heir to the Holly Donut Empire, so yeah. I have no interest in donuts. Okay. We used to say that if Dad died, we would draw straws, and the loser had to take the donut shop. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's there's a whole story there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the other thing is is Greg's character's <laughs> near death experience Another. in my in my yeah. monthly game. Now let me tell you the story version first, and then we'll tell you the mechanics behind the scenes version. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit back and listen. <laughs> so they're fighting a young adult black dragon. Okay, well, and this is and this is a run and a half after I had died yeah, and died. been resurrected, and, and I spent all of last run recovering from that yeah, resurrection. Yeah. So wait, 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 wait. New Eric rules for resurrection. Yeah, yeah oh, hell still, yeah. still okay. same ones. Okay. So the dragon has is visually impaired, can't see <laughs> anything really in the so combat. Well, they had put all kinds of stuff on oh, him. Okay. Oh yeah, I thought he came but, that way. <laughs> but he knew where the characters were within thirty feet, which I had actually misinterpreted the rule. He had blind sight, which I don't know if that applies. I was thinking tremor sense, but whatever. Oh, I said he, he, I didn't. I didn't know he couldn't see because I threw up that wall of thorns. So I thought that was what was screwing him up. Now, the wall of thorns had dropped by then. But yeah. anyway, so so he picks a target randomly of the characters within 30 feet. Greg is like 50 feet away. So Greg's not even a, a viable I'm target. I'm hiding. I'm trying to play yeah. it safe. <laughs> he picks this target standing in front of Greg's character. What's your character's name? Uh, uh, Aria Jory. Uh, Aria. Yeah. <laughs> um, and hits that target with the breath weapon. Well, of course, the breath weapon extends and hits Greg's character. Greg decides he's going to... Well, I was going to do the story story version first. Yep. So Arya fails to save, falls to the ground. The party mourns her loss. She's she's dead again. Of course, they loot her body. <laughs> Good thing. They spend the next hour removing her from this cliffside cave entrance, taking her down to the base, building a funeral pyre, lighting the pyre on fire. At which point, Arya smells smoke and wakes up. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Well, I am a tiefling, so I was resistant to the fire. <laughs> so, and they go, oh, she's not dead. So that's the story in game. Out of game, Greg's was, character was nearly killed by math. Yeah. So so I'll let Greg tell, tell his side of the story mechanically. Yeah, I had a little bit of damage. My character only had 25 hit points. Yeah. And um, I was using, that was my uh, my second character sheet when I when I leveled up I switched over character sheets I screwed up calculating my hit points I never this character and my other characters when I roll hit points 
I never get the roll. I always yeah. take and the I have, default minimum. I have my house rule. If you don't roll average, you get the average on the hit die. Yeah. So I was getting five points per level, and I was a fifth level character. Yeah, so he had three points of damage. So And I had three points of damage. He so, rolled with advantage on a saving throw. He needed tens. He rolled a three and a six. Yeah. <laughs> right? I was, let, him, was let him say it. Not Go having ahead. a good roll here. Um, but when I recalculated, when I redid the character and all that, I didn't. I just went, okay, it's five, five levels, five points. So I just gave myself 25 hit points. I should have had 29 hit points. Didn't realize that. So all these rolls, I, mi- I missed my save by one point. I'm one point off from being insta-killed. Because I took, uh, what, 49 points 49. of damage? Oh, shit. Yeah, I took 49 <laughs> points of damage on a character that well, at the time had 21 hit points. We're going through this whole thing. So he fails a save. They actually tried to revive him. He failed fails. his resurrection roll. Yeah, failed the resurrection roll. So then the party's like, okay, let's loot his body. Well, then they're going through all this stuff. And I'm like, how many hit points do you have? Because they're fifth level. Well, and I was kind of wondering, too. I'm like, God, you know. And everybody else was like, I got 49 hit points. I got 63 hit points. I'm like, I got 25 hit points. You <laughs> so, know, uh, so I do the math. Uh, and I'm uh, like. Uh, Ari is a bard. So I don't have a, a ton to start with. Yeah. But more than 20, 25, more as it turns 25. out. Well, and enough 29. to not be insta-killed. Yeah. So we just decided that she. Aria woke up on the funeral pyre yeah. <laughs> after an hour, so. which is a short rest. So, you know, you get hit points back. Yeah. So that kind of worked out. So, yeah, I was just glad I didn't have to make up another character because for me, that is kind of a lengthy and painful process. And, and, uh, <laughs> okay. Why does your, why do you die so much in game? I don't know. Cause I, I you know, and I didn't, are you like the, up front in well, the, well, no, the thing about it this time, time is, is last time I died is cause I did something stupid. We were running out of something. We were running out of that dungeon. This I time you died through a, because through a room you, full of loot, and I just literally just grabbed something in passing. And this time you died because you did something stupid. Well, no, no this, this time, time I did. I was, was I was out of the there way. There was a one in five chance it was going to target somebody not standing in front of him. No, 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 and no. And I was no. the only one not standing anywhere near the dragon. I was down the hall. It's not your actions in game. It's your actions creating the character that was <laughs> stupid. <laughs> That's it. I wanted. We needed some support characters. We got plenty of. We got a barbarian and. Uh, some other stuff. Yeah, so I wanted yeah. to play a support character so, for a change. A, a funny so, near-death experience. Another near-death experience. I love yeah. the fact that you made it. You know, he wakes up to the smell of smoke. Yes, or she. Yeah, no, actually, yes. that was a, that was a really good uh, that that was a good uh, explanation for what happened. And I, I actually <laughs> I actually think it's very cool. And the, and the rest of the gang killed the dragon. So uh, and, yeah. and I actually did help with that for a change. Sure, so, you so killed was, a uh, blind dragon. Uh, well, wow, probably okay. had a seeing eye dog. <laughs> Had to kill it too, didn't you? The dragon was not blinded at the beginning of combat, but they they neutralized it pretty quick, or, or sort of neutered it, I guess. And then there was a standoff for about yeah. three rounds where they couldn't see it, it couldn't see them, and. Yeah, there was there, there was darkness. So I had that wall of thorns, wall and of then thorns. it threw up dark. It threw up a sphere of darkness from within yeah. the wall of thorns. So you couldn't even see if the wall yeah. of thorns was still up. And, and he got the wall of thorns from a magic item because he's not nearly it. high enough level. Yeah, yeah, I have a I have a very cool magic item. Uh, so. All right, so good times. That's yeah. games people play, right? Yeah, that is it. That was our segment, games people play. All right, so let's get into Celestials. We have a topic. Yeah, and like I said, this is sort of weird because the Celestials, one, there's not a ton of them, but that's probably good because they're almost all, if not all, are good aligned. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be fighting them very often. They're more used as plot devices or assistance to player characters as opposed to opponents. Have you ever seen anybody 
Can you play a Celestial as a player character? I thought no, that no. that was something new no, no. that you cannot. Well, they have those... Um, what do they call The Asimar? Yes. That's oh, it. I guess that's like that's Celestial Light. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like uh, Tieflings being Demon Light. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. They're a little bit. But, but Celestials themselves... You know, I guess you could you could do a plot twist where you have to combat one, and some of them are more more formidable than I'll others. I'll be up front. In all of the time playing, I've never put a Celestial in, nor have I ever been part of a game where one has appeared. Other than, like, the Pegasus and the Unicorn yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Well, you know, every time we do one of these, I dive deep into the topic, and I always learn something, and... One of the things I noticed with this one is that this really highlights Gary Gygax's just breadth of knowledge that he pulled upon from mm-hmm. D&D. Because most of these creatures are from first edition. There's, they haven't added a whole ton of them. They've messed with the sort of hierarchies and, and changed the names a little bit. But most of them are from first edition. So why don't we just jump right in? The f- first one's the Coatl. Coatl, yes. Which is Mesoamerican. Yeah. Right? We don't see a lot of Mesoamerican stuff floating around, although it is a fascinating, uh, you know, p- uh, geographical and historical period. There's all kinds of weird stuff that the Aztecs did that can be incorporated. So the Coatl is one of them. Uh, it also made for the subject of a really good movie in the 80s, uh, Q. I don't think I saw that one. Never saw a Q? Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, a Quetzalcoatl ends up running amok in New York. It uses the uh, spire on the Chrysler building as its nest, oh. and it just flies around. Just some You'll be talking to somebody, and then shadow goes by, and whoosh, it yeah. like rips somebody yeah. in half. It's a so, terrible movie. So luckily, the Quetzalcoatl <laughs> is lawful good because it's a flying snake, which just seems like a bad idea to me. <laughs> <laughs> like if, imagine if we had flying snakes in reality. Oh, oh! People Ooh. would flip. Yeah, like oh, there a snake just flew into my window. <laughs> my guess is that there wouldn't be any more flying snakes because we would have killed them and made them extinct by now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, Guadal, um, they're they're pretty big. They're like medium sized, twelve feet long in, in first edition, and they live in jungles, fly through the air. They can polymorph, and uh, in melee, they have a poison spite and constrict. And they are also psionically aware, so another one of those creatures that can use psionics uh, in, in first edition. Now in fifth edition, Dean? Well, uh, basically, they it's got all of these innate spellcasting abilities. It still does the polymorph. Um, it has its constriction. It doesn't say anything so much about the psychic type of stuff. It does not—it's immune to psychic damage. But it doesn't have any of the, you know, the psychic type of attacks like you were talking about there. Yeah, they had, in, in first edition, had two major and four minor disciplines. So they had, like, psionic, they were sort of like spell-like abilities, I guess you would call no, them. No, no, these are just regular old run of They might have they might have replaced spells. that with the spell casting, yeah. probably. Yep. So Coatl, you know, they're sort of good guys. Show up, help your players, maybe. Um, you could do tons of research on them. They didn't provide a lot of backstory in terms of first edition they don't even really tell you they're mesoamerican they tell you well well because there is no america so right yeah (laughs) yeah there's very little information on you know other than to be honest with you it doesn't even talk about it being a celestial it just calls it a medium celestial lawful good gives it no background i'm surprised it's not a drag i mean 
It's, yeah, a, dra- it's, a, it's I, a Mexican I, dragon. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a Mexican dragon. They're small for a dragon, though. Very small. 97 hit points. Uh, and it does not actually... Where's the... Gosh darn it, where is its size on here? Medium. Okay, so it is kind of small. All right. So the Quaddle, what's yeah. next here? So divas. Now. Yeah, Eric's a diva. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> oh. Uh, D-I-V-A. This is D-E-V-A. <laughs> gotcha. So, As opposed to D-E-V-O? Now, and I here. D- yeah, D- yeah. <laughs> you know, we all we are, are diva. Yeah. Yes. Um, so. We get really deep into the theological weeds with some of these celestials. And again, this is Gygax draw, drew upon a lot of actual historical stuff. So right. divas are a kind of angel, and they're basically like messenger angels. And the way he transferred that, they came out in Monster Manual 2. Coatles were actually from the original Monster Manual, so they were mm-hmm. okay, part of that. Cool. Divas, they, he didn't come until Monster Manual 2. And he split them into three groups. You had the Astral Diva, the Monadic Diva, and the Movonic Diva. Hmm. <laughs> Again, this, this detail that, that he would put in here. And essentially the difference is where they work. So one of them were worked in the material plane. The others were the Shadowfell, and the last were the Feywild. Uh, and they could also, the Monadic worked in the ethereal and elemental planes. You know, so basically where they were at, and and they were somewhat powerful, not not super powerful, but they were pretty nasty if you had to fight them. Now in First edition, they were just alignment and good, so they were all good aligned. Mm-hmm. And again, they're they're more of a device to uh, help players out. You know, you're going to get a message from a diva telling you to do this or to do that, mm. and probably not going to fight them. No, um, not if you're smart. <laughs> now, more specifically, the astral devil is a diva. <laughs> devil. Uh, the astral diva is a patron of planar travelers and powerful creatures undertaking good causes. So that's when you would generally run into them. The monadic diva is a stoic watcher of the ethereal and elemental planes. And the movonic diva is uh, considered the celestial infantry serving the positive energy plane, the negative energy plane, and the material plane. So more of a, a combatish role. And their abilities sort of reflected that. You know, they have spell resistance. They have some pretty nasty attacks. Um, we're not going to go into a ton of stuff because I don't know if you have 5th edition pulled up. Yes, I do. They actually originally appeared in Dragon number 63, which was July of 82. Um, it does not. Uh, it doesn't give any details here, and I'm actually having some issues with some of the uh, links that we have provided for ourselves. It's not uh, coming up wow. for, for whatever reason. It doesn't like the certificate. So, oh, okay, my mis- my my failing on that part. Actually, it's not my failing. It's the computer's failing. So, sure. So divas, you know, another thing you can throw in. I don't use a lot of these. Have you ever? <laughs> I've, you know, if I have a messenger from the gods, I never, I always just have somebody show up. I don't, never was like, oh, this needs to be a diva. I guess just because I'm not that familiar with it, 
it is sort of interesting though the the angel rankings in real the real world and there's many different varieties uh, but just like the Christian angel rankings at the top you have the seraphim the cherubim mm-hmm. the thrones the dominions virtues powers principalities or princes archangels and guardian angels. I was surprised that archangels are second lowest. You'd yeah. think they would be higher than that. but I always thought they were. I thought so, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's a there's a Hebrew ranking, which involves a lot of phlegm when you say the names. Because <laughs> they all have a in there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do that accent. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that uh, in first edition, the Monster Manual had, you know, uh, so many of these angelic type types in it. Um, and then he had the deities and demigods come out. So much of what we're talking about now kind of branches from that well, Judeo-Christian background. Yeah. And this was Monster Manual too. so deities and demigods was already out. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm pretty sure. So, yes, you are correct. Uh, deities and demigods came out before that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and I could see it's almost like if you were— you have to sort of go all in for some of this. If you wanted to have a real theology-based campaign, you would need divas because what we're going to talk about later is uh, planetars and solars. And there's one more that I believe is in the new one. Oh, I guess planetar, solar, diva. They're all classes of angels. So we have a ton of these angels floating around in early d and in 5th edition that— Honestly, I don't use a whole lot, but you could. You you could sort of put that into, you know, throw a religion in that uses these and mm-hmm. that, you know, these things show up to deliver message and and maybe rebuke uh, clerics who don't follow their <laughs> their way. So it'd be interesting. Now, the next one I actually have used. And I have now that I'm seeing it and reading it. I have encountered this in first edition, this particular yes. celestial. So the the next one in first edition, it was called a Titan, mm-hmm. and in fifth edition, they renamed it to an Empyrean. Yes, in first edition, the Titan was an enormous, powerful, and godly outsider. Yes, yes. Which again, their their categories were a little. It just basically means it's not from the tri- prime material plane, right? Now, first came out in the white box. Mm-hmm. So wow. this was important enough. They're like, we need to put these in. And again, given uh, Gary's background with classical mythology, the Titans were, were a big deal, right? So Yeah, we got to get all that stuff in here. Yeah. So it's not surprising that they showed up in the white box. Then they republished them in the Greyhawk Supplement as part of ODD in 75. And you are Mr. Greyhawk. Again, came out in Eldritch Wizardry in 76, still part of the white box, and then finally ended up in the Monster Manual in first edition. The the Titans were uh, chaotic. They weren't lawful like a lot of the other Celestials. Right, yes. Still sort of good, but they were more chaotic. And... They were essentially like a godlike race that were based on the Greek and Roman myths. They, like the myths, they were hardy and muscular and considered handsome or beautiful, right? They were sort of the perfection, physical perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the Greeks were very into that, so. Yeah. yeah. And and the picture in the Monster Manual has a, a 
Titan, you know, in essentially like a, a loincloth sort of thing with a, a sword draped across his chest, a jeweled, you know, sword hanger with a little circlet, and he's sitting on a throne, and right. there's some little character, because these things are huge, right? They're they're 18 plus feet tall, according to the Monster Manual. I used one in my campaign in 5th edition. The characters were in a dungeon, and... It was collapsing, and one of these had been captured and was being used as sort of an energy source by an evil cult. And the Titan was, yeah, the Empyrean, because it's fifth edition. The Empyrean. Uh, the characters rescued him, but as they rescued him, the mountain began to collapse, and they were deep underground. So the Empyrean cool. uh, basically held up the mountain. And the characters escaped. And he's still there holding up that mountain. It's very nice of him. That's the kind of stuff they do. Maybe sometime they'll go back and, and rescue him. Yeah, huh. probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Those characters are still around. That I was know. a bi-weekly game. But yeah. uh, at least one of them is still actively playing. The other ones are sort of in limbo. You've got uh, three legendary, um, legendary actions with the fifth edition version. Yeah. It's got attack, of course, but the bolster, which I think is kind of cool, uh, bolsters all non-hostile creatures within 120 feet until the end of its turn. Yeah. What does that? What is that exactly? Bolstered creatures cannot be charmed or frightened, and they gain advantage on ability checks and saving throws until the end of the Imperion's Imperion's next turn. Nice. That's pretty cool. So this, to me, is a much more Everyone realistic have one. And the way I would use this is if the characters have to take down something way above their ability mm -hmm. right so they're 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 batting batting higher than they should be yeah this empyrean would show up to fight that big creature with the characters in support which is sort of not the way it normally happens right normally the characters are the center of the show right but you could have other stuff going on that the characters can deal with while this you know climactic battle is going on. I can see on. that happening, yeah. You know, that, mm -hmm. that's sort of a cool effect. So these uh, I can see incorporating in my game because it just seems more reasonable. You don't want God showing up, and these are God-like, and every once in a while it could be a nice little twist to a campaign. Yeah. I love their, their bolt, their ranged spell attack, uh, 7d6 damage, and it can be any of the following types of uh, their choice. Mm -hmm. It can be acid, cold, fire, force, lightning, radiant, or thunder. Yeah, pick force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only three creatures have resistance or immunity to fourth. Force really? damage. Yes. Good to note. The helmed horror, the is like mini helmed horror, and one other one that I don't remember. Good to note. All um, right. Yeah, so so that's sorta of cool. Now, speaking of the Greeks and the Romans, have you heard about that new tell all book published by Hercules? I have not. Uh, it's been kind of dancing. Yeah, around. all these celebrities are, are cashing in on their insider knowledge, and I who has more insider knowledge than Hercules? That's I fair. think we have a clip of an interview with him talking about this this book that's going to hit the. I didn't hit know he stance. could write. Well, he might have dictated. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. Let's have a listen. On tonight's episode of Keeping Up with the Greek Gods, Gaia puts the moves on her son Uranus. Hey, Daddy Sky, you are looking mighty fine in that toga. Mom, don't be gross. 
On the other hand, we are married. But their incestuous love leads to big problems. Oh, Cronus, will you do your mommy a favor and cut off your daddy's testicles and throw them in the ocean? Anything for you, mother. Hand me that gray flint sick. But even that attempt at family planning goes awry. Another child? Aphrodite born from the ocean? How is that even possible? We didn't even do the deed. And where are my testicles? You must have misplaced them. Try to remember the last time you saw them and backtrack from there. Join us next week when Cronus hosts a big family feast. I'm so full, I couldn't eat another child. <laughs> Just kidding. Bring that baby Zeus over here. There's always room for one more baby. Get in my belly. Okay. Yeah. I tell you what, those those <laughs> Greek and Roman gods, they did some messed up stuff. I kind of want to go to one of their parties. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's true, too. Oh. Okay. All right, so now we come to... Remember when we were talking about beasts? Yeah. Yeah, and we talked about a lot and about... And there was that one, you know, the, the rabbit with a horn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now we've come to the... Hollyfant. Something almost as ridiculous. Yes. Possibly yeah. more so ridiculous. So one thing I didn't realize, I have never used the Hollyfant. The Hollyfant I didn't even know it existed. is essentially an elephant with wings. Is a tiny two-foot-long okay. elephant. Is that in MM2? It's sort of like a, fun, a furry elephant. It's a mammoth. But here's the thing. Like Greg said, it's two feet. It's small-sized. In the Monster Manual 2, where it first appeared... Right. It doesn't. It's not clear that it's small size when you look at the picture. I'm, I'm looking at it, and it, it looks like a full-sized mammoth. Yeah, it looks like a mammoth with big wings. And then you look at the size, and you're like, oh, size, two feet plus long. Oh, it's a little mini furry elephant with wings. And again, they are creatures from the upper outer planes, which is somewhere far away. And they were used as messengers and helpers by the deities. And... As such, are sometimes encountered on the prime material plane. And they appeared from one to three, so you could have a flock of mini flying furry elephants. And they were golden furred. And they have a great fondness and uh, cooperate with good characters. Aww. So the, the illustration's a little weird, too. So. Yeah. I'm looking at the second edition AD&D site, and they listed it as a tiny one, a tiny elephant. But it doesn't say anything like that. It says that. small, yeah, two, plus, is, two feet edition, plus yeah. long. Hmm. So now in the new adventure, uh, Descent into Avernus, there's actually an NPC holophant that uh, can accompany the characters for a while. So I, I've sort of become a little more familiar <laughs> with them. They're actually fairly powerful. I don't know if you have the fifth edition up, Dean. Uh, fifth edition? Yes, I do. Right here. So what are we looking for? This, what do they do? Okay, so they have an aura of invulnerability. An invisible aura forms a 10-foot radius sphere around the Holy Font for as long as it lives. Yeah. As long as it lives. And any spell of fifth level or lower cast from outside of the barrier cannot affect creatures or objects within it. Yeah, so you just stay near the Holy Font and fifth level or lower, not yep. going to affect you. It's got innate spell, ability, uh, spell casting abilities um, with a DC of 15, and it can cast... At will, light, bless, cure wounds, protection from evil and good. Uh, that's twice a day. And then once a day, banishment, heal, raise dead, and shape change. Um, it apparently likes to shape change into a golden-furred mammoth with yeah. feathered wings. 
Which, so, what's its normal form? I thought well, that was its normal well, form. Well, the, the illustration there version. is way different okay. than the other illustration. It's just a big yeah, yeah. version. It, it looks a little cuddlier, I guess. I don't know. This does but not They're look, mostly like no, helpers. All freaky. those abilities except banishment. Yeah. Raise dead. Bless. Give you immunity to any spell attacks. They're, right. they're sort of handy to have around. Yeah. Um, they don't go into a lot of information on the whole... Um, Although kind, a holophant won't bear witness to an evil act without punishing the malefactor. It's pearlesc- what are they going to do? Tusk them to death? Yeah. I, well, it says its pearlescent tusks are far from formidable, but it can unleash trumpet blasts from its trunk that can deafen creatures or engulf evildoers in radiant sparkles of positive energy. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, yeah, I don't know if. Okay, you know. I do want to read something from second edition sure. though. Uh, it says here, um, ecology. It's pretty clear that holophants creatures, holophants are creatures that exist outside of nature. They're highly magical and don't even really need to eat or sleep, even though they do so anyway to make those around them feel more comfortable. This is a very cuddly type of creature. Uh, When they do ingest food, holophants favor nuts, berries, and young shoots. If removed, a holophant's tusk can be ground into a magical powder that transforms water or wine into an elixir of health. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Of course, holophants take a real dim view of some basher hunting them for their tusks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that was the old days where you had spell components. Yes. And yeah. my group still does that. They killed the dragon. The first question is, what can we harvest from the dragon? Yeah, yeah, well, there are some old school gamers in there. Yeah. Um, it does. Uh, it does in fifth edition. It does have the trumpet blast. Um, it can be heard out to a range of six hundred feet. Um, it's just weird. Yep. And it still does the trumpet of sparkles. The, you know, <laughs> the gods. They need to open a post office or something. They have so many damn messengers working for them. Yes. I don't know what their payroll looks like, but there's a lot of messengers from the gods. Uh, I have a feeling a lot of them are working something off and not getting paid. Yes. <laughs> Indentured servitude. Okay, so that's the holly font. <laughs> yeah, they're okay. Okay. Next one. Now, I have that, no, that, that I'm not sure how to pronounce campaign. this. I have always pronounced it Kyren. You know what? Um, we have an audio oh. ability to do this. Let's see if we can actually make it happen. Kyren. 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 Okay. Kyren. This Kyren. came from the audio D&D function of D&D Beyond. Here we go again. So, Kirin. Kirin. They first appeared in Eldritch Wizardry, 76. Then they were published in the Monster Manual. And again, we, we sort of have traveled all over the globe. We started in Mesoamerican, then we hit Greek and Roman, and now we're uh, Far Eastern, where this is a sort of Chinese, Japanese, Korean. Uh, they're sort of unicorn looking. They're all. A horse with a unicorn horn and a flowing mane, <laughs> but they fly. They they live in the air essentially. They're aerial creatures, and they say that their hooves rarely touch the earth. They dwell amongst the clouds and behind the winds. <laughs> uh, they are solitary, but they sometimes would age humans if it involved combating an evil power, a great evil. So they were lawful good super geniuses. Supra, not even super, supra geniuses. <laughs> super genius. Yeah, sort of like the Toyota, but um, smart. I'm looking up the whole... And yet not. ...background of Kirin on Wikipedia, and I'm not coming up with anything that is related to... There was uh, 
Q I I. It was spelled differently. Okay. It was uh, the original was Q I I R I N. I think All maybe right. we can try that. Yeah. Uh, nope. Okay. Uh, it, it no was, luck. It was based on you know uh, Asian mm-hmm. mythology folklore. So they they did have their you know hoof hoof horn attack. They also had they could employ spells of all levels at 18th level quality. Jesus. So they and including a one ninth level spell during any given day. And that is still true. Yeah. The key Ren's innate spellcasting ability is charisma, spell save DC 17, and you can innately cast the following spells requiring no material components. Uh, gaseous form, major image, wind walk, and create food and water. Yeah, they, st- they had to create food and water and just create items, yeah. sh- like material items that last a short a day or so. Yes, and it is still an 18th level spellcaster. Yeah, so so they're nasty, but they're lawful good. They're super geniuses. So why would they be hanging out with player characters? Well, Greg needs to make friends with one of these because <laughs> it's ninth level uh, spell. True resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Slide yeah. that thing around. Yeah, you, you should. This should be like the guy you have, you know, hanging around. I, in I the don't background. know how they would react to, the, That's to being cool. used as a mount. But there's, you know, if you need some plot armor, a character dies and you want them to come back. You could have one of these things show up. I mean, if they were doing service, you know, trying to defeat a great evil, the, the Chiron would be on your side. Well, I think right? in our current campaign, though, we're not trying to defeat any uh, great evil. We're mostly working for them. Yeah, well, you guys <laughs> started. Although I have noticed that Mark is trying to work his way to good. He's realized he's that like, he was getting a little too much into the evil. He, he was, Yeah, he's come out of the dark a tiny bit. He's peeking around the corner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll see how those... The rest of you are sort of on a redemption arc of sorts. Ish. Yes. A lot of ish. So let's jump back <laughs> to Greek and Roman. Mm-hmm. And the next one is the Pegasus. Now, it's a I, classic. It probably appeared in earlier ones. I couldn't find any citations for when it first appeared. It was definitely in the first monster manual. And... It's actually a really short entry. I think that they were like, everybody knows what a Pegasus is, because yeah. even by the time it's D&D, there, there had been movies that had them. The original Monster Manual gives far more description than 5th edition does. Yeah, well, this includes all their combat abilities, too, don't forget. So they're found in remote places. They're typically very shy and wild. These intelligent winged horses make the swiftest of steeds, and they are often sought for that reason. Pegasi will only will serve only good characters, but if they do so, they will always serve unto death. So it was wow. a lifetime bond. Nothing about having to be a virgin. <laughs> what makes these things celestial in 5th edition? Uh, you know, somebody decided they should be celestial, I suppose. They are uh, chaotic good, and I think they still mm-hmm. have that alignment. Yes. Uh, th- you know, it's a flying mount. Yeah, which is always cool. Yeah, Sounds I've like seen Clash a creature of the Titans. to me. Yeah, I know in 5th edition, uh, the there's that... It was a spell that improved mount spell. There's there's a spell that lets you uh, that's better than just the summon mount mm-hmm. that paladins get, but bards will often take it as their spell selection so that they can get a flying mount like a Pegasus or a Hippogriff or or some such thing uh, because they're intelligent. That's the other thing. If you have a, a creature that's intelligent, it acts on its own. You don't need to direct it like you do, let's say, a goblin war cow, you know, until you cast Awaken on it, and then it becomes intelligent. Which is just weird. 
Is there a pegacorn in D and D? Is there a flying unicorn? There's not yet, but you know, with the proper uh, alcoholic beverages, there could be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> pegacorn. A, a rainbow pegacorn. Yeah, that would be the perfect one. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm pandering. So, so woke, it's broke. <laughs> yep. So I don't know if we need to cover a whole lot about Pegasus. I mean, there's so not a lot to it. They're I mean, so ingrained in popular culture, yeah. you can sort of drop them in, and your players know what the deal is. Now, the next one, and and well, we mentioned unicorn. Why don't we we go there next? Since since Greg Might brought well. it up, yeah. So again, unicorn. I had a hard time finding out when it first appeared. It probably appeared before Monster Manual, but it was definitely in the Monster Manual. Oh, you know what? The unicorns were the ones you had to be a virgin, not the Pegasus. What was I thinking? Um, So anyway, uh, unicorns from temperate woodlands, uh, they stay away from human habitation. They're chaotic good, uh, but they shun contact with everybody except... Sprites, dryads, and the like. So they like their little woodland friends. That's because everybody's trying to kill them and take their Well, that's true. Um, Elves and human maids of pure heart and good alignment may sometimes tame unicorns, 25% chance, for use as steeds, and as such are faithful, obedient mounts. So, So this is, you know, we have to read into the sentence. So if you're... Elven or human maids? No. Maids. What, uh, what, pray tell, is a maid? I don't think they're talking about housemaids. Yes, I don't think they're talking about, you know. I, I think that is first edition speak. For? For, yep. Yep. To, yep you, you need to be, uh, not have done the deed in yes. order to, to use a unicorn. Um, obviously, we got rid of all that. We don't want to kink shame in fifth edition. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Greg just jumped right in there with the the pegacorn, or what do you oh, call it? Yeah, pegacorn. Pegacorn. Pegasus unicorn, yeah. Um, so I think they got they got rid of that language, I'm pretty sure, because 5th edition is woke. Yeah, like I said, so woke, it's broke. Um, but, you know, that is part of the mythology around them, so I'm not surprised that it got included in 1st edition. Uh, they... Now, they have their, their hoof-hoof horn attack, and in first edition, their horns struck for double damage, 2 to 24, and the horn's magical, so it got plus 2 to hit. Uh, but if you possessed a unicorn horn, horn, it was a remedy for all forms of poison, uh, including poison gas. Uh, so, you know, if you wanted to, to rip that horn off, That'd be handy to have. In fifth yeah. edition, you have to have it attached to the actual unicorn. Really? See, they and didn't the like that. The unicorn must be breathing. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like that people were just cutting off unicorn horns. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference between first edition and fifth. I mean, it's just nastier. Yeah, well, yeah. Just, it's, a, it's a touchy-feely world we live in, Dean. You can't be yeah. naming unicorns. Yeah, first edition for fun. was a, a little more just brutal and possibly historic. Brutal. That is probably the best description of it. It's more brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Which you know, that's if that's the game you want to play, you can still play that kind of game. Nobody's yeah. telling you. Nobody's you can't, telling but, you you can't. But it's it's probably good. They sort of oh okay, yeah, let's let's sort of tone this down a little bit. And if you want to bring it into your game, then feel free. Otherwise, we'll just sort of keep it more more generic. Okay, so our last two are two more kinds of angels, starting with Solar. Uh, Solars were the most powerful of spirits 
And in first edition, they had 177 hit points, which was a lot. But they only had a nine armor class, which is pretty pitiful. Um, they were would directly serve greater deities of good alignment and act as a marshal or a steward. Sometimes, they say, they would be found serving lesser deities. So, so the big dogs had Solars working for them. Uh, they came out in Monster Manual 2, by the way. That's where they sort of did that, uh, split them all out. Uh, they can be any of the good alignments, lawful, neutral, or chaotic. And they are totally faithful and unswerving in lo- their loyalty to their deity. Hmm. So, so these are sort of— No talking them out of it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the hard asses. Uh, they have a ton, four attacks per melee round, oh, which Christ. in first edition is crazy. Right. I don't know if characters ever got four attacks. I think you ended up getting three, but don't even quote me on that. Um, with a big bow with arrow and various arrows of slaying. <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell you right now. If a first edition planar or planet solar. Pl- this is solar. Oh, we're talking solars. Solar. I thought we were talking planetars. Never mind. I was like, I'm. we're looking at two different creatures oh, here. I should have. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. A He-Man character, planetar. Okay. Maybe. Right. So, okay. Okay, now I'm reading the same one. Here yeah. we go. Uh, they have the spell ability of a 12th level cleric in first edition. So that's pretty high because cleric spells only went up to 7th level. So you're pretty much near the top at, at 12th level. And had a bunch of stuff they could use one or three times a day. Uh, global protection from evil. They could summon. Now here's, remember we talked about how, how Kyrin were sort of nasty? Solars can summon one to two Kyrin. <laughs> So, oh, oh, Jesus. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> they could also, it depends on their alignment. If they were lawful good, Kyran. Uh, Phoenix, if they were neutral, uh, chaotic good could summon Titans. So <laughs> so all those other creatures that were already like badass in their own right, all, all the these things guys were terrified could be like, of. hey, I need your help. Come here. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm going to still continue with what I was about to interrupt you with. If a first edition Solar were to take on a fifth edition Solar, I think the first edition would win. They've kind of nerfed this solar down. Oh, a bit. definitely. The other thing with solars, you need a plus five or better weapon to even affect them with weapon attacks. Oh, a plus geez. plus five was the top weapon. Now, yeah. Got, yeah, that's one of the things I don't like in first edition. They got or fifth edition. They got rid of that gradation. It's now non magical or magical. I liked when they had plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four, plus five, and yes. it was a sort of more staggered. Yes. Because now everybody gets magical weapons by fifth level, and then that invulnerability doesn't mean anything. Like, it's sort of silly where if they said a plus one or better, plus two or better, plus three or better, then now it starts to mean something again. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, if they're going to ever do a revised 5e, I wish they would put that back in. Fifth edition has the ability of the flying sword. Does first edition have that? Uh, it, it's a really long entry. Monster Manual 2, they, they really spent a lot more time than the first Monster Manual. Um, I don't... Well, in 5th edition, the Solar releases its greatsword to hover magically in an unoccupied space within five feet of it. If the Solar can see the sword, the Solar can mentally command it as a bonus action to fly up to 50 feet and either make one attack against the target or return to the Solar's yes. hand. Yes, so they, have a, they okay. had a two-handed weapon, only usable by them, that counted as plus five with the qualities of dancing and sharpness. So basically, yes. So they put, you know what? Making a new D and D edition is not hard anymore. You just yeah. just rework the old yeah. stuff and you got it. Like, geez, how hard can that be? 
So I think there are people who would disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and that goes for pretty much everything I say as well. <laughs> but we're used to it. So. Yes, you're used to it. So now here's my problem. When are you going to put these things in? Yeah. I know. Mm. I mean, Solar's what else? How many hit points? In, a solar? 243. Yeah. And what's their armor is that class? all? 21. 21. See, in, <laughs> in that's first natural edition, armor. In first edition, they had a nine armor class, which is horrendous, but they were immune to a lot of attacks. Yeah, they're really powerful, but they're good aligned. I guess you could have one go rogue or something if you want your characters to fight one. What's their challenge rating? Uh, the bottom of the stat yeah. block. Challenge 21. 21. So that means they probably if you're fighting them solo, they'd get beat by a 14th level party. Probably even less. 12th level party probably take them down. Now, if you add mm. some little minions to help them, then they become yeah. much more formidable. Well, and, and all of their minions are pretty formidable. Okay, so planetars. So this is, we sort of went to the bottom the, with the divas. We went to the top with the solars. Now planetars. Again, appeared. <laughs> I just uh, find this name to be very funny. All these angels appeared in Dragon 64 first, which was August 82, and then were in Monster Manual 2. So a planetar is one of the powerful spirit group, numbering not fewer than 100 who serve <laughs> deities of good alignment. Not fewer than 100. <laughs> not fewer. So at least 100. I don't know how they do that, but... Uh, 100. So they serve as the right hand of a minor deity. So you got the Solars that are working for the big dogs. Well, the minor deities, they need their their flunkies too. So the Plantars get that. They uh, can, if they're commanded by their deity, they can, in fact, enter the lowest planes of hell. Um, Only a Solar is more powerful in the cause of good. So they basically say these are like the second string uh, good alignments. Again, they can be lawful, neutral, chaotic, and that's determined by the master they serve. They have that f- bastard sword that counts as a plus four weapon with defender and wounding qualities, but only against creatures of evil if it's wounding, So, which sort of makes you bleed a lot. Here's what it says, 5th edition. Plantars act as weapons of the gods they serve, presenting a tangible representation of their deity's might. They can call rain down to relieve a drought or can loosen an insect plague to devour crops. A plantar's celestial ears detect every falsehood and its radiant eyes see through every deception. Unless you're a mastermind rogue and then you can lie and the magic says you're not doing it. I'm going to build a character around that fact at some point. Hmm. Uh, Planetars are muscular and hairless and have opalescent green skin and white feathered wings. They tower over most humanoids, brandishing immense swords with grace. Sometimes sent to aid powerful mortals or unimportant tasks, Plantars are especially fond of missions that involve battling fiends. Um, In first edition, just jumping back real quick, they have uh, the ability to cast seventh level spells as both a cleric and a druid and a bunch of other spell-like abilities that they can use. Um, they had some psionic abilities. So, you know, they represented, represent, resemble a tall, powerful humanoid. Same sort of uh, look as they have in 5th edition. Uh, there's a lot of angels. There are a there, ton of them. There's yeah. A, it almost makes Seems me like want to do an adventure path. Using uh, them. Like uh, in Adventures League, a lot of times they, they will throw in a recurring NPC that sends you on crap. And it's always like a sage. There's one that has Jenny Green Teeth, which is a hag. That's <laughs> sort of an interesting name, right? Jenny Green Teeth. <laughs> but I think Eric dated one named Jenny Green Teeth. I might have. Yeah. yeah. At the truck stop. <laughs> <laughs> in New Jersey. That is not true. 
Um, I've never picked up many women at the truck stop. <laughs> um, so he's picked up a few women at the truck stop, but not many. Not That's many. the implication. I'd say it correct. Actually, I'd have to think about that. I don't think I have. But you know, I guess if you had either a campaign or an adventure path sort of focusing on this celestial, you could incorporate a lot of these creatures. And it does give you the ability to challenge the party way above their level. If you got mm-hmm. one, and that's the only way you can do it. If you throw one of these creatures in, you're going to have to throw some big, nasty bad guys in. Well, and you've got to be pretty high-level characters just to not get squashed in the wake well, of these that's people. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. Is the splash damage going to yeah. kill you, right? Of too huge. But... That is a, th- I mean, that's a, that's a thing, right? So we, we design adventures and characters are worried about getting smacked with the two-handed sword, but it's a whole nother level of concern or worry if you're standing next to these giant forces that are battling that you're going to be collateral damage. I, I don't know if I'd want to play that adventure every time. But it would make for an awesome climax to an adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, here we are, and and if a character did get caught in the splash damage, now all of a sudden it's a totally different mindset. Like, we're not worried about defeating the opponent. We're just worried about staying out of the way and dealing with what we need to deal with while not being taken out by our own side. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't want to play that that scenario every time. But it could be a good good adventure path with some sort of wrap-up. All right. So those Speaking are of wrap-ups. Speaking <laughs> of wrap-ups. Hey, that was a good Those segue. are Celestials, which is probably the shortest of all our monster groups. Yeah, there were, not, there were not many in there. And they're all pretty similar. They're all really powerful things that, that could help you a lot, but would quickly unbalance most encounters. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, um... Let's be good creatures and sign out now. Okay. Hey, if you uh, want to tell us about any of your uh, recent con fun or your encounters with Celestials, real or imagined, uh, you can find us on Facebook where we are the Grognards. On uh, Twitter, every now and then, we are at tgrognards. Instagram, we are the underscore grognards. And we have good old-fashioned email where we are gamers at thegrognards.com. All right. And for the Grognards, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Sickle. Game on.